Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you guys ready? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not ready. I'm not ready this week. <laughs> is, it re- is it recording already? It is recording. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah, I'm not ready at all. Salam, sorry to interrupt the podcast, Selena here, just a small trigger warning that we do discuss miscarriages later on in the podcast. Assalamu alaikum everybody, uh, welcome back to another episode of Overrated, Underrated, it's Nafisa, Selena and Sara today. Do you know what guys, I still don't know if I should be saying walaikum salam. You do it every single time. time. <laughs> it's so heartfelt as well. I'm a bit nervous today guys. Why? Because we're we're recording in the pod in White City Place today, which is very kind of them to lend it over to us. I wish it was live, because like, if you're walking past right now, just give us away. <laughs> Up on the window. Right, can I get your three <clears throat> overrateds please? I feel like that I really need to explain this. The ease... It, I don't know how to word it. Maybe you guys can help me. But wearing hijab. Hijab is a linear journey. That was what I wrote. So I say this because, you know, recently we've seen like hijabi bloggers take their hijab off or the hijab sort of retracting back or they're wearing it in different styles or they're wearing the turban hijab, etc. Right. <clears throat> they're experimenting the, at different parts of their journey. And I think sometimes there's a lack of acknowledgement that the journey isn't linear. With anything, like, you know, if you just look at your fashion, it evolves, it changes, right? But no one's saying, oh, but you weren't wearing polo neck all this time. How come you're, you're wearing just long sleeve? The, it's not as critical when it's below the neck, but because it's your crown, it's on top of your head, it's so critical. Like, I remember when I first started wearing hijab, I wore a cap. I wore about 30 <laughs> pins to make sure it didn't fall off. I was in an undercap. Undercap, yeah. 30 pins, um, and... You know, it's quite a robust hijab, like come window or tornado, it's not coming off my head. <laughs> and the other day, me and Sarah were doing Salah on the rooftop in Clerkenwell. It sounds so romantic. And it was so windy and my hijab literally was coming off in my Salah. That's because I don't wear any pins anymore. And I just, I, loose, I loosely wrap my, my hijab. But if my hijab journey had been documented, <laughs> people would be like, oh, look at her. She's mm. come away from her religion or she's come away from the D. Look how she wears her hijab now. Yeah. But my hijab journey has not been documented in public. Yeah. Um, and there were times where I wore tab- turban. Do you remember when I wore That's so interesting, hijab? actually. If, you, if, if there was a visual like Instagram feed of when she started, a hijab, a turban in the middle, a different style here, a different style there. And I've never said this on record, but I wore niqab for a very brief time in my life. <laughs> Did you? So yeah. if that, if my journey had been documented, yeah. I started wearing niqab in the height of summer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was hard, right? I struggled. And uh, yeah, that's so interesting, actually, when you put it like that, as in if it was a, a visually documented thing like Instagram, Instagram bloggers do, you'd be up for so much scrutiny. Mm. Like, yeah. Like, now, I mean, I was on the train today and my daughter was like, mummy, mummy. And I was like, yes, darling. And she's like, and she kept pointing her forehead. I was like, what, what's wrong? And she's like, your hair's showing. And I'm like, 
And I said, oh, it's all right, darling. And then she's like, why? <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, oh, shit, I have to justify to her now why a bit of my hair showing. And I was like, all right, then pull it forward for me, sweetheart. <laughs> and then she pulled it forward. She's such a little harampan. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. But, yeah, if my journey was documented, I would be under scrutiny. I know that there's another coin to this. You know, everyone's enraged probably when they listen to this. They're like, yeah, but these influencers, they're influencing culture. People are following them. They have a responsibility, etc. They do, but ultimately... Our intentions are between us and Allah. Ultimately, like, can we just cut each other a little bit of slack? Mm. Like, just a little bit. Like, we've made a commitment to put the hijab on. Just give me a, a sec. I feel like you're overrated here is dragging hijabi influences. Like, I've seen, you know, um, I don't know. You know, maybe this, this week is just a bit of a, a, just a, bit of a rant. That's maybe. fine. Everyone's been doing that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a topic that's been going around quite a bit recently. Mm. And I just think, you know, they're under so much scrutiny. Like, it's a lot. Mm. It's a lot. And, uh, you know, if a brother, his beard journey was bloody documented, everyone would be like, oh, look at your beard. It's three inches short. Or even it's like thobe to non-thobe journey. Exactly. You know, like, there's so many How brothers are that you? at some point they were, like, wearing thobe, would wear a jibble, How dare you show you us your calf outline? <laughs> yeah, and then they, they eventually had a transition. And, well, you know, it, it, might, it might just be at the hands of... Uh, the people that come for them yeah after we saw the um ramifications of the 12 things piece and and the coverage on that and the things the kind of things that we were monitoring i couldn't help but think on both sides of the coin the positive sides and the negative sides what it must be like to be the target of you know feedback like that because you can get really raw there was like really raw pieces of negative feedback and mm. um Really and that's amazing. something that, in you know... Thank you to the brothers who dragged us. <laughs> Thank you. I've never seen you, interacted you, seen you like, retweet anything on our Twitter. But for sure you came out. out to drag your sister. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for your support. Yeah, I, I think it is a dragging hijabi influences and yeah. recognising this not linear while also recognising there are many other conversations. Because there will be people that have seen or not seen me in the car, however you want to word it. <laughs> and then if they saw me today, they'd be like, oh, you're, you know, in my tracks bottoms, my vans on yeah. the top. They'd mm. be like, oh, what happened to you? Yeah. And, you know, on I this think that's the whole point of in- intention, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The fact that no one actually can equate it for us, not even ourselves. Mm. Only Allah can do that. Um, my next one... Is notebooks. Well, wanna, uh, While you're sitting in front of a notebook. I think notebooks are a way for us to actually think we're listening, make us think mm-hmm. that we're actually logging information when really it's just this black hole of scribbles. Uh, you know, the amount of, I'm not talking about people that have worked at Amalia, but other places <laughs> when people say, oh yeah, I'll just write that in my notebook. And then in five weeks time, so where's I'm it like, going? Where, why hasn't this been actioned? It's because it was documented in your notebook. Um, I and I, I don't necessarily think the notebook itself is overrated, but I don't just don't think people know how to use I it. I actually recently switched from notebook to an app called Millanote. And you know, you, yeah, you guys know Millanote. And I basically, because I, what I was doing is I was writing my to-do list and the next day I found myself writing similar things because some to-dos were like carried on. And I thought, this is not efficient. <laughs> so I've been that using... That sounds stupid when you yeah, say Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so I'm using Millanote and that's why I'm documenting stuff as well. And I feel like the role of notebooks is more to facilitate creativity rather mm. than for documentation. So I invested... <laughs> Here, Here we, we go. go. <laughs> I invested in the Hobonichi, uh, which is what like... Is that? <laughs> that's like mafia. Very Insta-worthy... 
diary slash notebook. Okay. But I didn't get it for is those it one reasons. of the journal ones? It, it is. No. I can't lie to you. When I saw it, I was like, I need this aesthetic edition. But it is black and it's got like gold keys on it. And it's got like a Japanese quote from every Japanese copywriter in Japan. People scribble all sorts of stuff in it. They don't actually use it for notebooks. Is this the so one that you have in the office? This is one I use every day. And I've never used a notebook in my life. Not even a diary. How long I don't have, have you been using it? A whole year. A whole okay. year. And I've used it every day. It's a habit. So yeah, what, what are your tips? So the, the, but the thing is about the Hobonichi is that it encourages you to use it creatively. So a lot of people... Um, purchase it and they they do all sorts of crazy things like you know when Aisha came into the office and we were doing my daughter has actually yeah. written in her, her, her yeah her but I mean, that's what you're supposed it's supposed to induce creativity basically How alongside that's a long pause it's 40 pound Wow. What? Listen, look, it's no, no, lovely. no. Can I see? I need to inspect. And it. then, and and look, it's inspection time. All right, for our listeners, it's very well proportioned. It's got a black cover. It's what size is this? A five. Yeah. So it's I'm A5. just quite fascinated. It's, it says hobo on the side. Yeah, hobo Nietzsche. What, what, what does this say? I don't know. <laughs> it's got some Japanese symbols on the front and then three keys. Inside, every day has a date. And I've a seen date. that in the pan shop. It's got <laughs> no. No, excuse me. <laughs> Behave. <laughs> Pages are squares, comparison. like the ones in your maths book. Okay, but the quote at the bottom, that's original. Okay, should we go to a random quote? Yeah, yeah. go on. Bread may disappear once it's eaten, but it's not really gone. The energy in the bread is simply transferred to your body. I was on a solo trip once, dazed and confused. Then I ate some bread, and after the... <laughs> After the tears poured down, I felt great. It picked me up and got me looking for a place to stay. You know, let's just take a moment and contemplate that. That was by Jen Terrell, <laughs> who is the CEO of Balmuda Inc. And it's called While the Bread's Toasting in the Balmuda Toaster. She's not wrong. What's overrated are... Burgers. Oh gosh, I'm with you. I feel like Sarah thinks I'm coming for her. I'm with so, you. These are all the, again. Let, let's just the dissect the faves. Let's dissect a burger. I'm okay. Seventy percent two bread pieces. Ten uh, percent lettuce. Five percent a slice of tomato. And what's the maths on that? I haven't got yeah, eighty-five so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the remaining percent is the burger itself. It, why am I paying £10 for a patty and some bread? For real. And a, a, a what is it, 5 centimetre by 5 centimetre piece of tomato and then a 10 centimetre by 10 centimetre piece of lettuce. And uh, what I find crazy is, like, the Muslim ummah are so excited about burgers. Yeah. So excited. The amount like, of halal burger joints have opened up. Gourmet burger in, joints. Yeah. yeah. In the, my thing with burgers is that I just feel like it's too much of the same taste and you just chomp through, chomp through, chomp through, chomp through. And you but I don't even want to get into the environmental effects. Wait, listen, listen. Do you know how, much, how many hectares of land it takes for a cow to graze and do whatever he's doing? I've actually declined meeting people because they've chosen a burger place. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm just like, I don't want to spend the worst, money on a and burger. The worst, and this is fully coming for people, a bunless burger. Stop it, it's <laughs> just a chicken salad. <laughs> All right, Nafisa, can I get your overrated, please? Right. Don't look at them. <laughs> so my first overrated, I just need to get a definition up. Mm-hmm. Just give you some history. If um, a Wikipedia definition, it doesn't count. Actually, I read the Wikipedia definition <laughs> and I was like, they're not going to admit this So into the podcast. So I went for a different uh, outlet. My first overrated is 
a concept and it is power dressing. <gasps> Selena and I were just talking about this this morning. Oh, were you? Well, because it's the first time I've worn makeup in like a month and a bit. Oh. And it's because I was feeling a bit rubbish and I thought, oh, we've got to do a podcast today and I've got to bang out two videos. So just before, just as I came in, I was putting some lippy on. I was like, I know it's a podcast, but yeah. I just yeah. need a bit of lippy. So, <coughs> for those that aren't familiar with power dressing, I did a bit of Googling to get you a bit of history of the term. History, you know? Yeah, wow. the, t- the term's been around since around, like, the 1970s. Was it coined by a man? So in in some texts it says it was coined by a person called John something. Had to be John. And <laughs> and in others they sell that say that Chanel actually coined it because they came out with this suit and this whole concept of like power dressing. Mm-hmm. So um, the term has been used since the late 1970s and reflected the clothing styles favoured in business and politics in the US and UK throughout the 1980s. The style was heavily influenced by influential women who were in the news at the time. For example, the cast of television shows like Dallas um, and the UK Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and, the princess, yeah, and the Princess of Wales. Um so the reason that I brought this in as my overrated is literally because yesterday I was going to a meeting, which was in the city. So it was in London Bridge where there's lots of big corporates, lots of people walking around in pencil skirts and shirts and suits. Do and they still wear them? Yeah. <laughs> and you could see, and this is the thing, I feel like we, ex- we exist in a bit of a bubble because we run our own company and we're in the startup scene which is like the polar opposite everyone like looks homeless basically and I was just walking around and I was wearing my boyfriend jeans uh my black I hate that term okay maybe next episode overrated um my loose jeans and my trainers a polar neck and a, a like a top um and I was just walking around and like I was just very aware that I was suddenly walking into a part of London where everyone was in a where suit. Where were you going? I was walking to London Bridge. Mm. So I walked from Barbican to London Bridge. So I literally saw myself seep into the city life. Wow. It was it was really surreal, actually. Mm. And then I realised that actually I get a bit of a thrill from walking into these spaces and walking into these meetings really underdressed Mm. because my whole thing is like you've asked me to meet you and you've asked me to meet you probably for my skill set, my intellect, what I have to say and all those things. Therefore, I don't need to wear a suit to prove all those things. Mm. And I, it made me question, like, I was looking around and I said, okay, all well, these people are power dressing, mm-hmm. right? Because they're trying to fit into their context. Mm-hmm. And I thought, actually... Who's where got d- the most iron shirt? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started questioning, like, where does my power come from? And I realised that, like, actually, I, for me, power dressing was from the fact that my power came from the fact that I can walk into a room and not feel like I have to window dress myself Mm. to look like I'm powerful or Mm. to look like I have something important to say. Um, And I recognise that that comes with a privilege because we are in our own company. Alhamdulillah. Um, Alhamdulillah. But yeah, it just really made me question it and it made me question how much it really does because if you look at the history of power dressing, a lot of it was about how do we look powerful in the same way men look powerful in suits? Like even the whole shoulder pads thing, it's like broad shoulders is to do with like strength mm-hmm. and like being able to overpower do you someone. Do heels is to try and be as tall as them? <laughs> I, that literally just crossed my mind. <laughs> Maybe. Um, 
but yeah, I just think it's overrated as a concept. And don't, don't get me wrong, I think there's a difference between what you guys are talking about in terms of like dressing putting, up. Yeah, dressing up and feet. And I'm not saying that I don't feel good when I wear certain clothes or certain yeah. outfits. But I think it, it when it becomes an expected norm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, don't even get me started on like modest fashion and wearing modest fashion in the workplace and trying to be covered. Because I remember when I used to work in the corporate world, I that I found I really struggled with that. Mm-hmm. And I I, became, I looked I, I was wearing stuff that like I didn't want to be. I didn't want to look like that. I didn't want to wear that. But I felt like that's what you had to wear to, you know, look the part. There's so much pressure. I remember once uh, I used to work in like licensing and. We went to this licensing fair and it's a big deal. Like you've got these booths that you spent like ages antagonizing over how the booth should look, blah, blah, blah. It was at, where, where's Earth Court? What's that place? Everyone does all those events. Excel. Olympia. It, Olympia, right? And, um, you know, your outfit's a big thing as well. Like, yeah. what are you wearing? What are you wearing, guys? What are you wearing? And I wore some, I don't even know what to call them these days. I'm not even into fashion. But loose palazzo pants? Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And uh, a white shirt. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I look nice, you know, nice. And I've just kept it simple. I turn up to the booth and one of the women, she was like, oh, you went for the white shirt and, and trousers compo. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like you've just knocked my whole confidence for the yeah. whole day. Yeah. You know what? I actually have like half of my wardrobe is like corporate clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us a story about this, Sarah? It's literally like when I see anything that I think I could wear in the corporate world, I'll buy it. Why? <laughs> What, have I've you ever worked in the corporate world? Never had a corporate job. Never See, will. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an aspiration. It's just, I don't sold, know. I feel it? like it's been drummed into me. Yeah. I don't know. I've always had this vision of me being some like corporate businesswoman. So whenever I'm out and I see like a corporate outfit and I can put it together, I'll buy it. Mm. It's just wow. sitting in my wardrobe. Yeah, it's, it's, you're waiting for your big pair. I, I have three or four pairs of untouched black brogues wear and it. shoes. I have... Work, I have black trousers yeah, but lovely can, pleats down can, the middle you can dress them up them like I've work. got a really smart pair of trousers alright tomorrow's smart day <laughs> I'm enforcing it like you know when like, if I get day. invited to, I'm not going to act like I get invited to loads of events guys but when it says like black tie or when on, you do get invited to places like parliament you forget your passport <laughs> <laughs> when it says stuff like black tie and you're like for me I've just accepted the fact that what I wear to those sorts of events is not going to be a dress, it's not going to be a skirt, it's not going to be a pencil skirt, it's going to be trousers, some heels and a nice top and a flowy thing on top. And mm-hmm. that is what I interpret as black tie event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wear my favourite abaya yeah. for a whole year. But it's, all, it's all, there's, I mean, I could go so deep into this. I could also yeah. go into like where that, that, that form of power as a visual even stems from mm-hmm. because... If, and how it's spread and, and, across the world. You so know? the gaze so is yeah. So you're saying that the power people attempt to tap into is problematic. Not that they are dressing... Because I think, it, what if you're not coming from a place of power where you're yeah, as that's, secure... That's, like, that's different. What I'm saying is, I feel like the fact that it's become like this uniform of power. Right. Let's get your second one. My second one is micellar water. Eh? Micellar water. <laughs> Can't stop. Why? Jesus. Well, it's better than wipes. Okay. I mean, I know why. Why? I know it's hype. Mm-hmm. Isn't it just water, guys? What no, is it? <laughs> it's not. What is it? It is a wipe in liquid form and better, and it is pioneered by the French. 
Oh, okay. So it's the and French, French pharmacy <laughs> is the pinnacle of skincare. There you go. Um, I've actually come full circle on this. I used to think micellar water was the biggest hype, and this was before it became like very accessible on the high street. This was when the only people that were doing it really was like Bioderma, mm-hmm. and it was like super expensive. Yeah. And now I'm, it's a pound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had like one friend that used it, and she like she she'd used it since like we were in GCSEs. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What the high grade stuff or the biodema? Okay, yeah, biodema. Beauty work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she's and she'd tell us all about it, and I'd be on like my Pampers baby wipes, and that's what I'd <laughs> use to take my makeup off. Hmm. And I was just like, come on, it's just some water in a bottle. Like seriously, mm. what are we like really? And then I think I I was like, okay, wipes are also not that great for your face, so I'm going to stop using them. And I thought, let me try micellar water. Tried it, and I've been using it for, like, I think the best part of a year. Mm. And I, I thought, actually, it was all right, apart from the fact that I was using a lot of cotton wool. A, a lot. lot. of cotton That's wool. why I stopped using it. Uh, even for, like, everyday makeup, a lot. Like, there's this chick called Sankasal, but she's, like, she has this very holistic, organic, mm. eco-lifestyle thing going on for her. She's eco She, like, yeah, she, well, she purchased organic um, cotton or linen, and she made individual cotton wool pads. No, and then she throws them away. And then she'll use micellar Wash water, them. and then she'll put them in the washing machine. But she had to sit there and so and they're multicoloured as well. She put some Do you know what, actually? Because, you know, breast pads... Yeah. Sorry, this is going somewhere. Breast pads <laughs> for breastfeeding, they, they're like cotton wool things, but yeah. you can get washable ones. Mm. That's a shout. So I also said this based on the fact that I'm now using what I feel like is a better alternative. What's what? I need to try it. Why? It's, so it? it's just a little cloth. Um, Super absorbent. And Is what? it disposable? No, you use it a thousand times. Shush, really? Yeah. So, so this is the thing. I've ditched. It I've texture like. It's it. It's nothing special. It's just like a fluffy cloth. So I've actually ditched my cellar water, and part of it was also a happy accident because I was like, I just can't be bothered to buy cotton wool. So what do you put on the thing? So you get the cloth, mm. you wash it in warm water, mm-hmm. like just soak it, and then you just rub it all over your face. I'm not kidding you. It takes your eye makeup, eye makeup. Yep, mascara, eyeliner, eyeshadow, foundation, lipstick, everything. I can't believe it. Does that. I have to what? see it. Wait, I also has it got the thing inside the cleanser? No, no, no cleanser you needed. You, you just mean? need water. What no. do you mean? Yes, you just take your makeup off Guys, with water. Let me tell you, I micellar watered my face with cotton. Well, yeah. And you know how people say micellar water takes everything off? It doesn't. Even with this, it still took stuff off after I used about, like, eight cotton pads of micellar water. And the amazing thing is... so you hack. It's got something in it. Listen, no, it's got nothing. It's, I'm gonna, I'm going to bring it. No, hey, I'm going to bring it in for you tomorrow. It's just 100% just a piece of material. I bet you it's, like, snail thread or something. No, it's nothing special, I'm telling you. And then the magic thing is that you look at this cloth and it's, like, filled with your makeup, Right. And then you just wash it with a bit of soap and it all comes off really easily. Oh my really goodness. easily. I'm an absolute right, sucker it. for novelty. Do you know what? Have you, you there's got no it way you're going to be able to... I gave it away like the damn fool I you, am. You played yourself they're because they're like Because quid. I'm quite content with my hot flannels. And Do I thought nothing... Some, no, I the, use olive these oil. Are, I mean, Do you I know, mashallah, her skin is good. Oh, thank you. Allah Mubarak, it is. That's really nice. How do you take your makeup off? Olive oil and a hot flannel. I do a double cleanse. Okay, Where's so you understand from? where this I is coming from. I understand. I stopped. Listen, this I would be a perfect addition. I've pro- really gone through everything. There was a time where I had like a Korean ten step 
skincare oh, regime. You did that. Yeah, because wow. I was I literally I had nothing better to do. I can't even lie. <laughs> like, I, I can't. I um for me, it's I can't always be going to get cotton wool. No, because there was a period where I just had run out of cotton wool. Yeah, and I also hadn't restocked it. And yeah. you can't go anywhere because it's quite expensive in some yeah. places. I'm like, yeah. why am I paying three pounds forty? Yeah. I know too it much. And this is more friendly for the earth. You can use it that a thousand times. On me. You can put it in the washing machine. The same. Yeah. It weighed heavy it as well. Heavy. So I think micellar water is super underrated. It's time for that wave to go. Agreed. It's time for the face cloths it's to come in. It's interesting because I actually use that cloth to wipe up any spills for the kids painting. No. It's very absorbent. Yeah. Right, next one. Yep. Give Ready? me a third one then, please. My third one, I'm going to offend some people, but guys, What's if me? you haven't noticed the theme of the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> is... I think what is hugely overrated, and I feel like the hype has died down around these, is Daniel Wellington watches. What? You what? DW. Yeah. Daniel Wellington. Are they overrated? Yeah. I thought that the first You've got a problem with Daniel Wellington watches? Yeah. I just... Do you know what it is? Is it the watches with the extra clock in the middle? Everyone it's the one with it. just the DW on the on the top of the face. Oh, the, the very very beautiful watches that are made in China and over extortionate. That's it. Shut down. And we're just like spread across Instagram influences like wildfire, and everyone suddenly wanted a Daniel Wellington watch. My bigger thing is let's be real, guys. Right, and this is why I need you all to take a moment to self reflect on what you have done. Close your eyes, everyone. <laughs> If the watch said Amit Patel, would you buy it? <laughs> See, you're laughing. You're laughing. But am I lying? It's true. If it said Mohammed something. Would anyone buy it? So the crux of this is that to be Daniel Wellington is seen as aspirational. And the visuals that you think of when you think of the name Daniel Wellington, they're aspirational, right? You're not thinking of a homeless person, are you? Mm. You're thinking of a guy in a suit that's got it all going on and he's successful. And then on the other hand, to be Amit Patel hmm. is not seen as <laughs> is not seen as aspirational. And I think there's a deeper issue of what does success and aspiration look like and where do do we get those cues from? Wow, that was just a simple thing about watching that. It's a deeper I mean, issue around well. identity. You know, yeah, and I'm taking it there, but you know, that's our job on the podcast. That's true. Yes. But why Daniel Wellington specifically? Because there are millions of brands that are over. Because I, mean, I feel like Daniel Wellington it is, exudes this luxury, <laughs> and Daniel's made it. Yeah, and I, <laughs> but I feel like Daniel Wellington is like encompasses what all these brands are about of like actually taking really cheap products pricing them up like ridiculously and then everyone's wearing it thinking they're wearing a bougie watch My, like I feel like Michael Kors needs to get added to that Daniel Wellington list but I don't want to offend oh, too many people so of people you've offended they just bought their new uni bag I'm just gonna <laughs> it's the Michael Kors bag I'm just gonna and they're wearing the Daniel Wellington watch to their lectures I'm drawing a line if, if it didn't have the brand name on it and it was just a watch no one would buy people it liked it no one would buy it <laughs> in um in our break, Sarah disclosed that she likes Daniel Wellington. I just think they're a very well designed brand of watches, and I think clues are, and I think everything is a hype brand, and nothing should be hype, but it is what it is. I think Daniel Wellington went went into the market based on pure hype. They've got quality. Kendall Jenner to do it. Yeah, there you go. There no you one go. gets there Kendall Jenner to do anything. There, there you go. go. How did that happen? Enough money. Right, <laughs> underrated. Daniel Wellington, if you want to <clears throat> offer me money. <laughs> um, right, Selena, please, can I get your underrated for this week? Okay. My first one 
is making your bed. And it's something that I bang I don't on. even know why it got onto the list. <laughs> My first reason is it just, when you wake up and you do your bed, you're like, ah, my first accomplishment of the day. <laughs> like, that's how low the accomplishments are. Mm-hmm. And I have to. I have to do my bed. And even if my kids are still sleeping in the bed, I do the bed on top of them. And then I just fold it back because I need to leave the room and go to work knowing that I, I shook my duvet. That sounds but ridiculous. But what is, what is the state of your life in that? This, she the, never does her bed. <laughs> and I go into a room and there's this crumpled, crumpled mattress. I'll even, stri- I'll even if we're all sitting in my room, I'll even be like, everyone, can you just get up for a moment? <laughs> I'll have to straighten the yeah, duvet. she does that. She does that. Psychologically, it makes such a difference. As When I was in the hole, millionaire mindset, Instagram... <laughs> Basically, and I'm mean, already thinking the argument is flawed. No, no, no. I, I thought to, you were coming you to bring me. that talking. I'm going to bring the millionaire mindset talking. Oh, oh, no. this, this, is what, this is what even puts me off at you. She ruined it. Listen, this is this is Selena one of the, doesn't want you in her team. <laughs> this is one of the only things I took away from it as being relatively useful because. When people are at their lowest and they feel like they can't achieve, when they can't achieve a million things that day, making Mm. your bed and setting yourself a standard, even if it's like the lowest standard, can be the most useful thing ever. Why can't it be brushing your teeth? Because that's a standard. Should I tell you why? Because actually, you can go the day without brushing your teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I have. But why can't it be saying good morning? Because when you're depressed or when you're at a low place, your bed is your comfort. Yeah, a lot of people, one of the ways their depression manifests is actually spending a lot of time in their bed. And I think for some, for or perhaps I'm looking at it in a psychological way, is, you know what, I'm not going back to that place. I'm going to do my bed. The bed's done now. We're not going to get into the bed. We're going to go and live our life. Do you know what I mean? And if the bed is... Because I know if I'm going to go back to bed... See, that's quite cute. But for me, this, this psychology just doesn't work. Try it. And I feel like, you know what... Someone bought me this talk and he says, if you want to achieve, I don't even know if they're American, but don't like, sleep. If no, he's like, if you want to achieve and you want to change the world, start with making your bed. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Brush your teeth after making that. My yeah, bed. but he's set himself up there, isn't it? Because he's got the epic music in the background. Yeah, yeah. The it's slide like, it's like, about, like, what's he going to say? It's ridiculous. Say? Yeah, that was his own, th- yeah, that was his own fault. But making your bed, I, I think, I'm neutral whole, to this, but I feel like your story is quite cute. Yeah. So I'll let you have it. Right, my oh. next one, I will need to open my notebook for this, mm-hmm. um, is halakas. I think they're hugely underrated. Can you can you actually tell people what a halakha is? Because yeah. I didn't know what a halakha was. I am aware that life. many people do not know what a halakha is, what it consists of, and yeah, what it is. So I'm, I've got a, a definition. Whenever some people gather in one of Allah's houses, like a mosque or something, to recite the Book of Allah and study it amongst themselves, then calmness descends upon them. The angels surround them, mercy covers them, and Allah mentions those who, who are with him. Did you hear that? Allah says your name. So for those of you who don't, don't know what a halakha is, it's actually a religious gathering or meeting for the study of Islam and the Quran. And I wanted to mention this because um, 
whilst we were getting dragged on Twitter, somebody, um, <laughs> but you know, you know, I say dragged last week, but actually, you know, alhamdulillah, thank you so much for the messages of support. Yeah. It's been phenomenal, honestly. And we always talk about, sorry, this has gone into speech now, but <laughs> we always talk about us cultivating and building a community. And I felt like the community came out. Oh, you lot really came through, you know. Yeah. I really appreciated it. It, it was amazing. Like, I got DMs and I'm still getting back to the all The fact that you. people were writing whole threads for us, two people, in response to, to the whole shenanigan. Yeah, <laughs> I felt like we were standing there and everyone, like, people were interceding for us. Yeah, like, honestly, Leave it was so beautiful. I mean, I don't even want to talk about those stupid... What is it? That haram police people. Oh, it's just disgusting. I can't bear them. Someone anyway. tried to report us to Mend and tell Mama, guys. But anyway, let's why are you reporting us to Islamophobia? We're the ones that write about Islamophobia, like seriously. Come on now. Anyway, um, so Halakas—they're a religious gathering—and there was a comment on. I'm not going to out the person's name, and I'm just going to allude roughly to their um, their sentiment. Their sentiment, but they were like, "Oh, from a young age, I've been surrounded with Islamic knowledge. Um, you know, I've had mm-hmm. gatherings, I've had scholars, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And I was like, "You know what?" It was in response to my tweet where I said, I don't think people are understanding and the crux of a lot of this is that many Muslim women do not feel like they have the appropriate education and access to knowledge. And she was like, speak for yourself, sis. I've had a wholesome Islamic education at home. Not wholesome enough to have manners, but anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was in response to that, just to give the listeners context. Yeah, and I was like, you know what? Alhamdulillah, you're very blessed. Like, mashallah, you've been around Islamic knowledge. You've grown up as a Muslim. You've had it in your home. Know that there are new Muslims. Mm. Know that there are reverts. Because Shay, that there Shay are tweeted under that. Yeah. yeah, and she said, interesting that you've chosen to centre this around the fact that you have access. Yeah, and the fact that you were born into a Muslim household, whereas a lot of people aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just, I commented actually, and I was like, I went to my first halakha at the age of 28. And I remember it very like distinctly. It was me and Aisha, and I was invited to like a, a mummy halakha. Um, and I was so nervous. I was like, oh, God, what is this? What is this halakha? You know, I have to come with my Islamic knowledge. Everyone's going to test me on the five pillars of Islam and all of these things. I was so nervous. And I'm like, they're going to find out I'm not a real Muslim and I don't know everything. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still striving. And I'm still going to that halakha. Five years on, alhamdulillah. And I love the women that are in that halakha. And I had built it up in my head to mm. this grand thing. I'm like, okay, this scholar going to be present and he's going <laughs> to deliver a sermon and then we're going to ask questions on post-it notes and all of this. But it was literally a gathering of women. Somebody came with something prepared from a, a reputable source and then we discussed it. We looked at it. We asked questions. Um, me being that mummy, I came with my own little, you know, I thought oh, I have to go with preparation. But it wasn't as, not deep, but there are halakas where you go and there are a, there is a, Curriculum a specific sorts, yeah. person who is, you know, an alima, etc. Those halakas also exist. But what I'm saying is, don't make the halakha so unattainable mm-hmm. that, you know, I heard a lot of people saying, oh, I don't know, there's no halakas near me, etc. Ha- we have to take responsibility for our own Islamic education. But I do also feel like um, there is a conversation around and Hanan mentioned this on Twitter, that it is a very invite-only culture yeah. and it is very, like, you, the, the discoverability of them mm. is very difficult. Like I was saying to you, like, 
I'd only find out about your halakha if I knew one of the eight people. Mm. It's not just about Islamic knowledge. In terms of my mummy halakha, it literally is, like you said, you know, a couple of mums, we meet every week. And guess what? Some weeks we are unable to prepare because we're really busy. Mm. And to prepare a halakha, sit down, listen to a lecture, you know, prepare it, you know, there's a lot with it. Sometimes we come and we might read an article Mm. and then we'll discuss it. And some in terms of benefits, like we've been able to nurture a community. You know, some of us are homeschooling together or sending our kids to the same nurseries together. Um, we have a WhatsApp group. We kind of reach out to each other through our ups and downs. We've we've just this little community now. And, you know, we do. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You get little iman boosts. Sometimes, some days I check into a halakha and I'm like, I really needed that reminder. Mm. And it's a place where I can even just process things and ask questions and learn new things. Mm. And if you don't have halakhas near you, it could just be two of you. It mm. could be just two of you that sit down every week and you're making a commitment yeah. to follow a course, etc. Even just, um, there's a lot of like the series is from Ramadan that come out. Even yeah. making a commitment Followed. to say, we'll just, we'll take, for example, a Muslim series. And just even if it's you're not physically meeting, even if it's just something where you call each other and you say, right, are you ready to watch it? And then you have a chat there about you go. it after. On Wednesdays, we've tried to do online. Hal- I don't know if I can call it a halakha, but it's a, gu- a group of us. We meet on Zoom. Zoom, great technology. Love it. And you can see each other's faces. And I think there's something quite warming mm, about seeing sure. each other's faces, their reactions. You have that sense of interaction. And one of us, again, we used to prepare things, but... You know, just because we are mummies, it is a bit difficult sometimes. Um, so what do you, what's the format? Actually, last week I read an Amalia post. It was um, <laughs> day, the self-care one. Oh, and it's beautiful. That's a really nice it one, was, uh, It went around the hadith, love for your brother what you love for yourself. Yeah. And the emphasis is on the yourself part. Which and is never just, the emphasis, is Yeah, it? and it was saying Allah is actually asking you to look after yourself. Before yeah. you love other people, yeah. love yourself so you can understand how to give and recognise what other people want or need. So, yeah, sometimes we may just read a really good article. Um, on that note, you could also use some of the Sunday Circle articles, which are incredible. I've even delivered them as like a mini halakha before to just like one person or two people because they, they read really well as well. Mm. And if you just have a quick read of it before you deliver it to really be able to engage with it, understand the concepts... And just reflect on it, and it it won't take you more than ten minutes. Their their work is so beautiful. Um, Are they in our lifestyle or soul section? Soul. Yeah. Go on under our soul section on amalia dot com and go to Sunday Circle. Yeah, and just read all of their stuff. They they're really beautiful as halakha formats. Actually, if you want to get started. Yeah. So, you know what? If you can't find a halakha, start your own, ladies. My next one <laughs> is. <laughs> So we're actually sitting in, is it called the Vox Box? It's, uh, we're in the pod. 
in mm. White City, and um, I can see some White greenery, and I can see some trees as well. And a few weeks ago, I it was really sunny. I like today, actually, alhamdulillah. And I have a thing about praying outside. And, <laughs> and it was Asad time had come in. I was leaving work. Clearly, I was leaving work early if it was Asad. Mm. <laughs> but work for yourself and that. Mm. And then I thought, oh, you know what? There's no point in me going home and praying. Let me just. And I didn't want to go back in the building and mm. all of that malarkey. So I thought, oh, let me just go and pray on the grass. And there is something about your forehead hitting Allah's earth and looking up to the sky to make dua. Mm. There's just something about it. And honestly, guys, like, I did not want to leave my salah. You know when you say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi barakatuhu? When you say that at the end of prayer, I was, I didn't want to leave my conversation and my moment with Allah. Mm. And I think part of it was actually because I was, at, I'm looking at the spot where I was pray, praying. Did you pray out here? Yeah, yeah, out here. So I pretend like I'm walking this Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but there's something about praying outside. And me and Sarah did it the other day in the blistering storm. <laughs> And then the prayer mat was flying all day. <laughs> <laughs> the prayer mat was literally flying. But you know, doesn't it? It's a reminder more than ever that Allah is greater than yeah. all this stuff that's shaking around <laughs> exactly. you. And to be honest, even the prayer mat flew away. We yeah. could have still done salah. Because yeah. I I remember um, when we went to Umrah, we were standing oh, at Mount Arafat. And it was so windy. It was unbelievable. I thought Isa was going to blow yeah, away. Yeah, I literally mm. thought the kids were going to blow away. And at first I went, and then I was like, you know what? Allah is greater than mm. this. And actually let me channel that fear of Isa's going to blow away <laughs> into Allah's here to protect you. Yeah. And so I, th- I think it's, I think it's, it's beautiful. It's lovely. And for that earth to hit you and look at Allah's creation, it really just transforms your salah, guys. So mm. if you're struggling with salah, go, go outside. Go to the garden. Go to the garden. You know what? I, I, but I do feel, however... That a lot of people probably feel vulnerable. Vulnerable, yeah. I because feel I, because I feel like in some countries it's very normal. I used to feel very conscious yeah. about praying outside, but I would be more conscious if I got home and I've missed three salah. But I still think if you feel conscious, maybe then you know what you can start with, like starting to pray with other people. Yeah, like when you're out. I mean, with that, others that's what I started. I mean, the, actually, the first time I ever prayed outside properly, um, mm. like outside of my house was when we we did a seven sisters walk I think mm-hmm. it was like a couple of years ago and we prayed the ISOC like, initiation in there, but I've <laughs> never done the ISOC thing it was actually with Maid um, and I went with Nabs and I, I remember it was a big group of us and that was the first time I've ever prayed in a big group in it like is a really big outside. and it was really nice but I felt really safe because there was a, like a lot yeah, of us and there was hardly anyone around but if you asked me to pray out here yeah. I'd probably feel a little bit it's an exercise in mindfulness for sure because yeah. at, the, at the time of prayer you you know, you have to have full khushur and yeah. I think that's what it is that day because I could have either been to my salam being very paranoid that yeah. people are watching me or someone's going to attack me or whatever it is. Or I was like, you know what, I just need to focus. My, You know, Allah is looking after me and I'm doing this for the sake of Allah. Yeah. But yeah, I think praying outside is very underrated. And you know, when we were praying outside on the rooftop, yeah. I was talking about, I felt like, you know, the Sahaba, they were traveling <laughs> so much, they were out, they were, you know, here and there. They probably prayed outside a lot. Mm. They have outside lifestyles. So, like, we're no. indoors a lot, which probably, it, I mean, and that's the that's the case with even our recreational activities. We tend to gravitate inwards Netflix. all the time. So, yeah, so, like, it's just, I, I don't know, maybe our, I don't know, it might have something to do with UK weather, to be honest, because there's very the, few days where you can go, go out and, you know, pray and frolic and la, la, la. 
Um, my first underrated is a product because uh, I want you guys to all live your best lives. Mm. So I'm going to do some product placement. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Daniel Wellington thing is whatever the opposite of product placement is. Yeah, product <laughs> is, um, sabotage. <laughs> <laughs> so my product placement is um, salt of the earth deodorant. Yep. Um, it is, so I found out about this whole... It's like a marble on your armpit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I found about out about this whole actually using deodorants and perspirants or whatever you want to call them is actually quite harmful um to what the environment or your under all of it um <laughs> contains a lot of aluminium. go on here you go on Sarah, so take it away conventional deodorants contain a lot of aluminium which aren't the direct cause of things like cancer but it can contribute to it a lot any any kind of um toxicity in your blood can facilitate diseases it's like basically makes it a petri dish and i mean just even inhaling it like your most important glands just under i think it's just near your breast i think Mm -hmm. just under the armpit i mean it's just vital that you keep it really like clean down there in terms of ingredients Mm. um and that's where a lot of toxins get released as well through your hair sorry it's a lot to your mind but um. okay so yeah that's why you shouldn't use deodorant guys <laughs> but i found a fantastic alternative and it took me a couple of months so i was like stinking for months trying to find <laughs> like a good organic aluminium free everything free it's all right you can come closer now <laughs> deodorant and my chosen one is salt of the earth which is a stick of do you is know it what it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, it's properly unisex. It's rock salt. Yeah, it's basically a stick of rock salt. And the way you use it, which is a bit of a faff, um, is it's you, not. It is, okay, it's, it's not in the big scheme of things, but when you're on the go and stuff, it, <laughs> it is. If you don't um, use it without water, it's very painful. Yeah, you can't, you have to, ba- it's basically like a um, pillar of salt, right? Like solid. And then you have to wet it. But it's quite smooth. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's with no exfoliation. You <laughs> wet it and then you rub it on your armpit and you'll think nothing is happening because it has no Should smell. Should we do a test? <laughs> I'm wearing a pearl and I'm going to smell well. armpits, guys. Um, yeah, there's, there's no smell, there's no transfer, you're not even sure if it's working. No white residue? No, no residue, <laughs> no nothing, but it's fantastic. And I, I've been cycling quite a lot and working out quite a lot. Oh, has um, it worked? And yeah, I I use it even for workouts, and it is it is brilliant, and it is hugely unisex. And this is my question: you know, this whole like aluminium bad for you? Yeah, it's I feel like it's very much geared towards women. Mm-hmm. What's the deal with men and I, aluminium? Well, I don't know. As far as I'm aware, we both have glands there, both yeah. genders. Because men both can have get glands. breast cancer. Yeah, well. of course they can. So yeah, yeah, lads, keep your pits all nice and clean with aluminium free as well. What a bunny um, experience! You can share the same deodorant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some some people have said that it hasn't worked for them. It didn't work for me, I can't yeah. lie. I feel like I have to get this spray. Yeah. But the thing is, I think I have to wean myself off of conventional mm. deodorants yeah. because like, you have to weigh up against whether you want to smell for a bit just or not. I think we have to accept we all have different scents and smells as well. But also, I think right. like part of it is like... <laughs> Half Middle Eastern, isn't it? Like, yeah. I can't risk it. Yeah, I think part of it is weaning like your body. If you think about it, like I first started using deodorant probably like maybe 14, 15, when you're, mm. like, hitting puberty. Like, your body has gone through... Yeah, yeah. Your body trip. has been used to 
that sort of stuff on your armpits for a very mm. long time. And I you're stopped using it when I started breastfeeding. Yeah, you're trying to undo that work. I don't need my child to be smelling <laughs> whatever it is whilst mm. they're trying to have some natural boob, you know? Yeah, and it lasts quite a while. Um, and some people have said that it gets quite gritty, but that's just if you don't wipe it after you use it because the water stays on it. Um, but yeah, I don't FAQs. Yeah. This is here to answer them. Yeah, I'd really recommend it. I've always been really conscious of the deodorant thing I feel quite bad that I've always neglected it my mum always made a point like we always used to get these like homemade rock salts like infused Your with mum just so knew well. everything yeah, yeah she's very well quinoa yeah, yeah. for her lunches she's yes, well. quinoa like seven years old yes but I mean it just she was no fun she knew all the trends man yeah she did I didn't know what quinoa was, no was like <laughs> quinoa so I remember me rolling up to school with Holland and Barracks next right what's your next one my next one's a bit sad, guys. Oh, it's to do with women's health. Oh, no, don't. I'm going to cry. You might. Oh, no, I don't. I don't know if you will. I don't um, like it already. But I feel like it again, like last week, my, not last week, the week before, my um, underrated was PMS. Mm. And How difficult it is. Yeah, a lot of people really re- resonated with that. Yeah, online. exactly. And I, I, the aim of this one, again, is to make sure that it is a conversation and people are aware of it and people are aware that they're not by themselves. Why is your face like that? I hope you're not going to say what you're going to say. Go on. So I I, I saw this on a mummy Instagrammer's profile called Mighty Mother and I thought it was really sad. Um, And she was basically talking about miscarriages and the reason I put it in my underrated is because she put a stat which was... um, that 25% of pregnancies, so one in four pregnancies, actually end in a miscarriage. It's a very high number. Very, very, very high number. And we wouldn't know that because you see women saying, oh, I'm pregnant, but very rarely do you hear, like, miscarriages are very common, but mm. you very rarely hear people um, talk about it. And she wrote a really beautiful um, caption with it on her Instagram, and she basically spoke about how she had had a lot of miscarriages in the last um, year and they'd wow, all happened not even one yeah she had about I think it was five she said um, and but the thing what her key message was the fact that they all happened in the first trimester mm. um, and she she labelled it let me just find the it the silent trimester yeah she it, they all happened in the first trimester and, and she said that's why they call it the silent trimester because there's a lot of women that have miscarriages in those first few months but because they still haven't told work that they're even expecting mm. they're then have to, having to deal with the fact that they've gone through mm. miscarriage and the emotional turmoil that that puts someone through yeah. um and they you know it's it's quite hard to navigate you know if your employer never knew that you were pregnant and then you're coming in and saying I've got miscarriage and then I can imagine a lot of employees probably don't even know how to respond to that. And, you know, different women probably deal with it differently. Um, and for some people, it is a grieving process. For other people, mm-hmm. it is just seen as like a medical thing that happened. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I just feel like, again, similar with the PMS in the last um, podcast, it's just something that we just don't really hear about or talk about openly. And so that means if it was ever to happen to you, you, you would just be in 
at a bit of a loss of like, is this normal? Is this mm. okay? Is it my fault? What happened? And things like that. And I think this veers On into... both sides, actually, the mother and father. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I feel like this veers into wider things about like the realities of breastfeeding. Mm. We wrote a piece, plug Amalia got it in, um, about with two interview with two mothers... Yeah, and they spoke about the realities of breastfeeding and I feel like I've been able to see a lot of the realities of motherhood and what that means because I've got two sisters that have had kids. Mm. Alhamdulillah. Horrified. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mate, I'm happy being an auntie. But again, like, not everyone is so close um, to that. And even then, I'm still, I still obviously don't know everything. Um, and I just think, in particular, when it comes to, to things to do with motherhood, sexual health, relationships, it's just all very under the... And a lot of people, like, you know... They when, don't tell. Yeah, they yeah, tell once they've passed the first three yeah. months because it, the chance is so high to, to have a miscarriage. And, I, like, she went through five in one year. Oof. That is a I lot. I do want to say something, Not actually, at this point. Uh, I, was, I was talking to, actually, my good friend, um, Sarah, um, Memoirs of a Muslim Mama on Instagram. And we were talking about there's a lot of things that we go through in life and we've known each other for about five years and we've gone through and we always, you know, we've supported each other through it and we often, we go to Islam for our support. And we were talking about death and how actually during death, like, you know, we explain it, inna lillahi wa inna ilahi rajiun, mm. you know, and we are able to reconcile how death works. And to Allah we belong and to him we return. Return, yeah. And she was talking about um, her mum's partner passed away, um, they're not Muslim, and she was just, we were exploring, like, if you're not religious, how do you reconcile and how do you, I guess, work through death of mm. a, a close person? And perhaps sometimes when you don't have um, religion, you seek practical things, like, actually, I'm going to get therapy, counselling. and You look at the other mm. ways to kind of reconcile it or explore it. And sometimes when in the when you're a Muslim, you don't do those things. You just so if them. you have had a miscarriage and it's, affecting you or you're having difficulty in getting pregnant or you or you're having a difficult pregnancy you know reach out for for help as well like mm. you know we should approach islam holistically mm-hmm. whether it's counseling therapy even if it's a friend and you just need a cup of tea every week mm. to just talk about it there's also groups i think you can find um even where you can discuss even, these things. even following people that are quite open yeah. about talking about it so you at least feel like there this is a conversation because she ends her post with miscarriage can't be prevented, but support can make it feel less awful. Our bodies are not shameful. Mm. So, yeah, mm. bit of a sad one. All right, now, what's your third one? Right, my third one, you've got to stick with me on it because, um, again, it's a concept mm-hmm. and... I didn't know we were getting so abstract, so next week I'm going to come through <laughs> with the <laughs> concepts. Um, and this isn't like from a scholarly level or academic lens or anything like that. It's just something that I think is probably quite true for a lot of parents. Um, so I don't know how to phrase it, but I'm going to phrase it as what I think is hugely underrated is immigrant parent trauma. Okay. And... What I mean by that is I feel like, so a lot of minority groups came to places like the UK or even places in Europe, the US, um, and they were in search for something better, right? They were in search for a better life. And 
I think well, they were fleeing war and yeah, fleeing. they were they were fleeing as well. And I feel like we, as a millennial generation, who have a lot of us have been born and brought up in places like the UK, really like don't acknowledge just how much our parents went through like we and especially in an age where we're all talking about self-love and self-care and identity like what does that mean for your six-year-old dad what does that do you mean we're not giving them enough slack or do you think we're not spotlighting them enough both everything like I feel like when we look at what we've achieved um in our lives like it is nothing compared to what they've achieved like if I look at my own parents like my mum got married when she was like quite young like she was like in her early 20s and Mm. she was then and there was talk of marriage five years before that yeah 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 and her dad was like no she has to finish her education and um she married my dad and then they moved to Indonesia. She moved to a country where she couldn't speak the language. She, like, she even, she, I remember she always says, said to me, like, you know, the first day we got there, he dropped me off at his colleague's wife's house and then he went to work and she mm. just thought, what have I done? Like, where have I come? Because she's now in, like, some stranger's house, can't even communicate with them, right? And she, it, it was, and they're not... And she'd uh, come straight from village. Yeah, like, absolute village where you don't use knife and forks. Do you know, like, to just I mean, give that you, is, a, you know, like, no electricity. Like, to give you, you know, a, an idea. And um, and even after that, she then moved to the UK and she moved to Hartlepool. And, you know, my mum, my dad was like, her, they one of the reasons they moved from Hartlepool to where Selena was born. Um, <laughs> I was born in Indonesia. Oh, sorry, sorry. I mean, where you <laughs> Hartlepool, don't. Don't um, 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 Sabotage my existence. <laughs> I was born in Indonesia, Samarang. Sorry, sorry, where, where Selena was, where, the where she went to like school and stuff. I was raised there. Like, for part a of the reason why my parents moved from Hartlepool to London was... Wait, I be- don't even know. What? Why did was because mean? my mum's... Um, feet used to swell up really badly mm. because of the cold and the mm. circulation like mm. imagine like you've been pulled out from like a hot beautiful country where there's like every exotic fruit from the tree that you can just pull off and eat you can run around with kids like the sunshine is there like you've got this whole community and then you're in Hartlepool where well, your body's not even adapting yeah where well, your body's and she was like you know we were in this hotel where she was like it's February and there's a crack in the window of the hotel she was like angry freezing. at dad yeah she was like it's freezing yeah. And like I just, I just, I could not fathom going through all of that. Yeah. And I remember when she said, like, when my dad bought his first pair of shoes in the UK, they looked in them and it said "Made in India." Yeah. <laughs> they had like shelled out so much money yeah. to buy these shoes, and then it was like the irony that they're made in India. You know that it affects them because yeah. they retell the stories. Yeah. Like one story that my mum always shares is uh, when we went. Oh, I'm gonna get upset now. When we were when we were in that hotel, she always tells us the memory of making noodles in the kettle. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I I feel like it's because they haven't had an uh, an outlet of sorts to to speak about it that openly or just like speak about it to speak about it not for any reason you yeah. know just to like get it out and unravel what life was like and and what they went through in their emotions and things yeah. like that and i feel like a, a a lot of it also is that we we as the the generation after and the kids growing up here like 
our reference is only, oh, my parents make me want, want me to become a doctor or an engineer. And they really discount the context where that's coming from. Yeah. And just like how much your parents have had to do. And they want you to be on, they don't want you to just survive. Yeah, that's they want what, us that's, to thrive. It comes from that place. And I feel like that, that becomes a dominant narrative. Mm. And don't get me wrong, I totally understand that. And I totally understand and that. It's not discounting it. Yeah, yeah. it's not discounting it. And I, I get that. And then even things like, you know, like I know we've done a lot of, pieces on Amalia talk being critical of mosque setups and mm. what we need and things like that and again I feel like you know they came and they did what they needed to do they yeah. created functional communities yeah. they established the halal meat shops they established mosques to congregate for people to do their Friday prayers and now it's up to us to take that to another level um and one of the trigger points for this was when I watched the BBC documentary about the India partition, there were like these elderly people retelling, or not even retelling, just telling the story for the first time of what it meant to have to flee and what it meant to have to see what was going on during the partition where it got very bloody. And you saw these like really elderly people just like crying their eyes out and for me it was the fact that it was obviously not something that was reconciled not mm. that i'm saying it can be reconciled but it was so, it was so raw yeah. and it was like it literally was just there like that this person they probably never really spoken about it well you don't even have time to react yeah you just have to you're yeah. in flight mode do you think we take for granted how many safe spaces we have to yeah be able to talk about? for yeah. sure absolutely do you think they've been an aid to us looking at maybe some of the implications of not having those safe spaces on the older generation mm. yeah if, even twitter and instagram stories right like and i was thinking about like we're all having these mental breakdowns because we're oversharing on social media mm. but we get to overshare you know yeah. we even get that we get an audience listening to us mm. even if it is 10 people watching our instagram stories or following us on twitter we have spaces to share and spaces to build communities in a different way and spaces, spaces to vent yeah, and release yeah, yeah, what yeah. is inside. On the flip side, though, do you think there is... And I think, like, off the back of that, it's actually, for us... <laughs> We've got some spectators, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so see. And sometimes it's, um, you know, Nafisa made this point, and sometimes it's actually acknowledging why your mum is like the way she is mm. or why your father is like the way she, they, what, the way he is. Mm. And I remember going to Kither Collective, is it Kither Collective? Yeah. Kither Collective's launch. And I remember, I think it was Fahana, I can't remember your surname, and she spoke about the diaspora and she spoke about gentrification of that East London area. Mm. And she spoke about, you know, when people first came into the area and she mentioned, you know, when mum and dad they call you and they mm. say to you, where are you? Are you coming home or have you eaten? Mm. It's them asking, saying to you, I love you and are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And I think a lot of it, if we're going to look at how it's manifested in their behaviour, mm. is perhaps sometimes in terms of communication. Like, yeah, you know, a lot, of pe- a lot of kids I have noticed in our, I don't know, I'm a bit older than you guys, but <laughs> our generation, oh, my parents have never said I love you. But they when you come many home ways. and you have food on the table cooked for you and, I don't know, your room's been hoovered or whatever it is, that's your mother or your father saying, I love you, my dear, and I'm yeah. trying my best. And they may not have said, I love you. Yeah. I remember, I can't remember what you said it on. I think it was a, pa- it was a mental health panel, actually. 
and Selena, we were talking about like intergenerational communication and things like that. And Selena was like, when <laughs> when your parent says, have you eaten? That's them basically asking, have you eaten? Are you okay? Do you have money? Are you doing good? Mm-hmm. Like, are you in a good place? Have like, you got a job? Yeah, that, that, that question is a banner for all those sub questions. And I think part of it, it, it definitely has manifested in how they communicate because also think about like, you know, for my mum, her communication with her parents from like 20 something onwards were like little little sound bites with her parents. I mean, before like, that, it was letters. Yeah, it was letters. Mm-hmm. And then I remember, I still vividly Do remember. Do you remember the blue envelopes with the yeah. black and, no, the red the, and blue on the and corner? And yeah. yeah. And like even... Um, I have those memories of like my mum just saying, "Oh, say hi quickly," or like say say salam and da da da, and it was literally because it was like salam, six nana. pound for like thirty seconds or something, yeah. you know. And only now it was literally only like I think a month ago that like, I f- was able to FaceTime my grandparents for the first time ever, and mm-hmm. that was like revolutionary mm-hmm. because for me I really struggle with that communication without faces because for me it's like I I really struggle especially because there's that extra added layer of language gap Mm. so there's only so much I can do like how are you how's the weather what did you eat and so actually seeing them it just opens up a whole new part of the conversation to be like oh look we're doing this in the garden garden and this is what our garden looks like you know look how tall Aisha is yeah you know it just opens up whole new avenues for conversations on that off the back of that um, there was a thread recently and I think Ayo mentioned was in it as well and we were talking about imagine if you know it's it's expensive to go back home you Mm. know it's what coming up to 800 pounds for a ticket Mm. imagine if you could fly home more frequently Mm. And imagine if you could call home and FaceTime home more frequently, mm. how we would transform our relationships and how we would transform our own lands. Mm. It's, it is hard. Like, we, yeah. we, you know, we do try to go every now. I think it's, it's like difficult. three years, yeah. you know, two whatever half, it is. Yeah. Every two years. Yeah, exactly. But there is that, I think, that part of our community we haven't really explored. And mm. there are things our parents are going through that haven't been... Unpacked, unpacked basically even our grandparents you know yeah. like my, my sending grandma, their children to different yeah, countries like I, I was having a tantrum when I was moving across London you know mm-hmm. I was you like, still do yeah, yeah, I still do and like I was oh I'm so far mm-hmm. and like even the you know I remember one Eid saying to Selena like because I'm one of two sisters and I was like, Selena, like, imagine if you lived in another country. Imagine if I didn't see you every Eid. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? Like, yeah. even imagine. That's the reality for a lot of people. Is, yeah, yeah, but yeah. imagine that how for our parents who came to this country with no community, no family, mm. they're used to spending Eid with a whole village, yeah. and now they're just sitting looking at each other's face. It's very brave. You know, I was all of this won't make the podcast, but I was thinking, like, Mum, leaves family, mm. gets married to a dude with long hair. <laughs> comes to leaves her country goes to Indonesia a different country yeah. doesn't know the language you know a year or two later falls pregnant pregnancy alone comes with is a mother in a foreign country yeah. leaves that country comes to another country like all in the space of such a short time and I'm moaning that I had to move to South London when I got married and then pregnancy and all of these but imagine if you didn't even have the language yeah yeah Yeah, for sure for sure like I I can't fathom how my mum raised three kids with no family around her yeah like I I'm I 
I'd just be like, okay, I'm so done. Someone <laughs> sort this out. Yeah. I can't. I can't fathom yeah. it. I really cannot. Shout out to people who are doing it alone. Yeah. You know, you can. You can do this. Keep going. And if you can, try and build a little tribe for yourself as well. Mm. I was thinking about self-care back home, you know. Like, mm. um, back home they get very early and then they go. the kids go to school and then lunchtime they come home because, you know, it's the height of the sun there. And there's a period where everyone has, you know, the kids jump in the pukur, we call it. But the, <laughs> the little lake. river or the lake and they have their, their gosol, they, you know, they shower and then they come and everyone eats rice together. And then we all lie down and sleep. <laughs> And I was like, wow. And I was thinking about my aunties. Literally yesterday, I was like, the ritual of they oil their hair. Yeah. Then they go and they have their sh- their showers. Or they and go they into the river. Clothes. And then they wear their fresh clothes. And then they come down, they eat, they sleep, they wake up, and it's tea time. Yeah. And tea time, we sit and we speak and we talk and we laugh. And I was like, that moment is a moment of self-care. Yeah. yeah. Where everyone just says, let's just pause the world for a moment. Yeah. And let's let's do this. And midday, let's pause it in the middle. And that form of self care is very underrated as well. It's yeah. beautiful, isn't it? They pause at the moment in the middle of the day. Yeah. Actually, five six o'clock when we're rushing and bustling <laughs> in, in town. And we have that that at my my mum's house as well. Mm. Like tea time is so treasured because it is part of it. What is like I guess part of them reconciling it and part of them being able to stay in a good place was holding on to the things. We still have they to can kind of import yeah. in you know like every Eid we have rice flour chapatis and um, lamb curry and potato and kheer in the same way they do back home and we have that for breakfast and you know like what's the key point when my grandparents or people back home call and they say how's your Eid and we say are we eating we're eating <laughs> yeah. these things and it's that um, it's like the nod it's yeah. the oh, nod we're of doing saying this like too. yeah we're, we're still here oh you know what we're doing because you're yeah. doing it too yeah, yeah but I think that's a big one, immigrant parent tra- trauma. So anything to add, Sarah? I don't have anything. I guess uh, one thing I was thinking about was maybe um, interracial marriages as well. Mm. Um, and I don't know if there's another term for this, but you know, people who marry migrants to the country, like the whole time you're talking, I think about my mum and dad and mm. you know how difficult it is on both sides of the coin to yeah. embrace an entirely different culture, culture and an enti- yeah. inherit. So basically big change. Yeah, and inherit... Yeah traumas as well mm. from both sides so mm. like my dad would inherit my mom's traumas cultural yeah. traumas and vice versa mm. and um it's a lot to adapt and then even you know as a man um maybe deciding to take on that role of the provider and mm. the breadwinner and do that in an entirely different country and make a name for yourself that in a system that goes against you you know yeah so it's very i mean yeah it's hard hitting for yeah. sure like, I, I think about my dad's english when he came here yeah. And I think about how did you communicate? Yeah. That's mad. But you know yeah. what I was thinking, like, um, there are older generation who still have the accents. Mm. Perhaps it's a resistance. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. hang on something to hang on to something familiar. <laughs> Two of the things my dad does, he says and it always used to annoy us when we were growing up, lasagne <laughs> instead of lasagna. <laughs> No, it's lasagna. And he knows it's not lasagna. He's educated, man. He He knows knows. it's lasagna, but he says lasagna. And he says it with, like, this, like, passion and conviction. But I said to my kids now, what else? He says yogurt. (laughs) Yogurt. And again, he knows it's yogurt. But when you're studying English... But he knows. Why is there a you in it? 50 years on, he knows that it's yogurt, but he still goes... (laughs) Jogger. <laughs> <laughs> <So cute. laughs> Bless him. Bless all our parents. 
Yeah, honestly. They, I'll beg they, you cut your parents slack, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, just go and talk to your parents. Go and ask them about their history. Go and ask them about how they came here. Go and ask them about all these stories. Because I feel like, actually, these stories only come out when you're getting a bollocking from your parents, yeah. you know? Give them a chance to just say that story on good terms. And forgive, <laughs> even if you don't know the story. Yeah, it Might exactly. be the reason they can't communicate yeah, exactly. the way you want them to. And well, exactly. ask them what they... You know, if you want to do simple questions, what was the first thing you ate when you came here? Yeah. What was the first thing you cooked? What yeah. was the first thing you bought? Like, keep it simple. Or like, what, you know, like, do, do you guys know what your parents wanted to be? All right, guys. Thank you very much for I your got overrated. a bit deep for my underrated. That was nice. Every she week is nice. a standard. It's a standard. <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate your overrated, underrated. If anybody has any feedback or they'd like to get in touch, please hit us up on Instagram at amalia underscore com and on Twitter at amalia underscore tweets. Um, any last words, peeps? Thank you to the pod at White City Place thank you, for thank you, thank you. hosting us. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Selena? What? Any last words? Um, Was that it? I wanted to say something profound. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone. Halima Begum, also known as Wags here from London. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Amalia Voices. We'd love to get your feedback, so if you want to get in touch or read out next episode's credits, hit us up at contributeatamalia.com. We've also got a spot open for those of you who want to submit your own voices to Amalia and tell us what you really took away and liked from this episode. You can also find us on Instagram at amalia underscore com and on Twitter at amalia underscore tweets. This episode was hosted and produced by Sarah Amin and we'd like to give a massive thank you to Mr. Harry Hitchens. Hitchens! Sorry, <laughs> for helping us out with the equipment and Mario Saad and the music. Like, share, and subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.